and welcome to the Guarantee Podcast. The Guarantee Podcast is an initiative of Campus Gegenwart, the Centre for the Contemporary at the University of Music and the Performing Arts in Stuttgart. Each episode collects ideas, thoughts and reflections on our current moment, looking at music, design and the performing and visual arts through an interdisciplinary lens. My name is Jennifer Walsh. I'm Professor of Experimental Performance and help direct Campus Gegenwart. This episode, I'll be talking with Elaine Michener and Laura M. Hindel. Elaine is an experimental vocalist, movement artist and composer whose work encompasses improvisation, contemporary music theatre and performance art. Laura is a composer and performer based in Berlin and New York, whose work is highly interdisciplinary in nature. Elaine's project, titled On Being Human as Praxis, was due to premiere at this year's Donauwesinger Musiktage. The project revolves around five newly commissioned works by composers George Lewis, Tansy Davies, Jason Yard, Matina Roberts and Laura M. Hindel. Before we begin the interview, let's listen to an excerpt from Laura's composition White Radiance, the brand name, performed by Elaine and Ensemble Manufaktur für Aktuelle Musik. Hi, Elaine and Lara. It's really nice to see you both. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Nice to see you too. Thank you hey, so Lara. much for inviting us. <laughs> so, where are you both at the moment, and what are the current lockdown conditions for you locally? Elaine, you're in London, the same as me, I think. Yes, yes, and in the same part of London, actually, although we haven't 
managed to do that socially distance we've been through the park we've been very good at observing proper social distance. yeah we just haven't seen each other until oh you know zoom now and it's great to see you yeah, yeah. i'm okay yeah i'm lucky because i have something that resembles a garden it's actually a bog and i keep telling myself that I will be able to grow something. I will, I will, you will do this. You will plant, you know, so <laughs> that's what I've been trying to do as well as tie up a few loose ends, um, twiddling my thumbs, um, blah. Yeah, it's just fine. It's, you know, it's dark. I'm trying to stay cozy and happy, you know, and keep Take well. enough vitamin D. Absolutely. Keeping hope alive. That's what we survived here in Berlin on, <laughs> on the long gray winter. <laughs> So where, where are you, Laura? You're in Berlin at the moment. Yeah, I'm in Berlin. Um, and yeah, we're in the third week of lockdown now. Again, we had another lockdown in beginning of November and everyone has to be social distance, which for Germans is not so hard anyways, because they do that all the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, anyway, so I'm in Berlin surviving on vitamin D and I'm... Um, I'm just in the uh, begin, uh, end stage, actually, of my dissertation. So I have my defense in two days. Oh, um, good luck. So good luck. I'll have um, a chat with uh, my committee um, on Friday, with, which includes George Lewis, obviously, and Haas, and Sasha De Castri, and Ashley Fury um, as an external end check help us down. That's my wow. external, um, uh, what do you call it, examiners. Oh, well, good luck with that. That's, that's, uh, that's to be in lockdown doing your defense is a very special type of experience, <laughs> I'm sure. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's see how I would have loved to have more of an in-person because it's kind of like, um, you know, like a, a closing ritual of the long defense, but whatever, it's going to be nice. So, um, I was very struck um, four or five weeks ago when Donna Washington was cancelled, this unprecedented event where you have the oldest new music festival in the world being cancelled for the first time um, because it was cancelled so late, so close to the festival actually opening. And both of you were already in Donna Washington when you found this out. So can you tell me a little bit about how that felt to, to sort of have arrived because it's this huge project which elaine spearheaded this amazing amazing project on being human as praxis you know that larry your piece is one of the pieces as part of the project and you you work for a very long time i'm sure to develop the project and then you arrive and you're told oh the festival isn't happening how was that um, Laura, do you want to go first? No, you go first. <laughs> to re relive the trauma. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's really strange because um, I've been very tired since I returned. And mm. you know what it's like. You have an idea for a piece and you live with it for a long time. And so when I first mentioned the idea of this piece to uh, Björn Gottstein, um i that was 2017 so that was in 2017 yeah. and so it's wow. taken that amount of time to pull the project together and last year um as as we all know as composers you know i mean the more time you get the less time you seem to do to deliver the project <laughs> and uh, you know i i had all these kind of grand ideas of all oh, right, you know, they, they need at least 18 months 
you know, 18 months, that's a good amount of time. You know, we can talk, we can, we can meet, etc., etc., etc. Of course, none of that happened um, because life gets in the way and everyone's busy. Mm. And uh, but 2019, we had no idea. None of us had any idea that 2020 would would have this in store for us. And so there, everything was planned out in terms of it wasn't just about writing, commissioning five composers, very different composers, um, to write a piece based on the ideas of Sylvia Winter, cultural theorist Sylvia Winter, uh, on a book by Catherine McKittrick, which is a kind of a, a, a an exciting and a compendium of her writings mm. and responses to it on being human as praxis and it really fascinated me and I didn't want to tell the composers oh right yeah do this check this text actually I say that in June this year I was kicking myself that I hadn't given each composer the same text yeah. to set in their own way so that only, only had kind of one text to memorize but yeah. You know, you learn, right? You learn from these experiences. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was going to be choreographed, ensemble uh, manufacture for Actuella Music were the uh, ensemble performing in this. So um, I've drafted in Dan Van Huyn, who's the choreographer that I collaborate a lot with. And we, you know, we had this idea of everyone moving through space and it was, you know, it was all going to be very physical and really challenging on lots of levels. So excited about it. The festival was completely behind it. Björn was great. We timetabled rehearsals. Covid came. Rehearsals were cancelled. Didn't know what was going on. Is it happening? Is it happening? We managed to to scrape out a week uh, on the first week of September 2020. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time we were all together trying to kind of put this 50 minute piece note to self one five 15 jen you know what it feels like 50 minutes you know what it feels like i'm trying to get that over the line when you're really tired <laughs> it should be 15 minutes not 50 so trying to get, kind of take this piece together with very little time and it was very stressful. it was very strange for coming out of a complete lockdown to be in berlin the first week of September where everything felt very normal and I thought this doesn't feel right but focus Elaine focus on the piece we've only got this time so we we managed to 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 kind of have a skeletal structural structure and the plan was we hit hit the ground running on the 11th of October, everyone will be there, we'd start rehearsing in the evening because some of the ensemble were arriving from Berlin that day. And we just had three and a half days to bring this piece together. Darm could not come from Hong Kong where he's now based. So there was a lot of pressure. Um, I wasn't sure if the festival was going to happen, but I was reassured that it would. So you can imagine, the surprise and the shock when uh, Tomasa, one of the dancers from Dan's company, who was then assistant director, um, he came to me and said, "We've cancelled the festival." At which point, <laughs> I, I kind of just blinked and looked at him and said, "Don't say that. Stop messing about. Please stop saying that." It's no, Elaine, I'm, I'm being serious. They've cancelled the festival. And then um, 
one of the assistant producers came and said yes and I walked into the hall where the lighting had been rigged the sound um, had been set up we were just configuring the space and ready to rehearse and everyone was standing around and Lara I don't remember seeing you I don't know if I actually saw I just at that, that point I saw figures I couldn't <laughs> see face I couldn't read facial expressions at that point because my you know I was trying to yeah. hold back the red mist because I know what was going to happen, you know, once, I just, yeah, I don't want to see anyone if you, <laughs> I don't want to see wasn't, anyone. I wasn't in the room uh, at that oh, moment, right. actually. Okay. I was still, I was still on the train because we had our, um, in order for us to be, there was this so-called so Beherbergungsverbot, so we weren't allowed to actually arrive or like stay in a hotel unless we have like a, like a recent negative COVID test. Um, so the, the festival organized it for, for, me and and the ensemble who everyone who was based in berlin organized these like um express tests on monday morning um so that we were supposed to get the results when we arrive in the evening in Dunajin, which we didn't but the hotel didn't ask for it anyways <laughs> <laughs> um so um yeah but that was that was also the reason why we couldn't you know start rehearsing on monday because we had to get these tests on monday morning um and yeah i mean yeah, it was really the moment we arrived in Onaishing and that the news break broke that uh, it's going to be cancelled. And um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of consternation at the beginning. Um, putting but, it yeah, mildly. Putting it mildly. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but I think we came through with, as a group, you know, um, like as soon as it became clear that we would get, we would get the the support from the festival for like a recording and um uh you know as soon as that that came through then um the spirits lifted a bit and you know we came we got into working mode which was that really was, nice to just focus on work at that point you know absolutely i i I'd just like to add that there was a moment when we didn't know what was going to happen and that's the worst kind right. of feeling of being in limbo so you know, you just want to drink yourself under the table and just, you know, spend all your <laughs> per diem because, you know, I'm flying back on Tuesday, <laughs> you know, it was that. but um, <laughs> trying to play hard, you know, um, but really, actually, there's a responsibility, there's a responsibility to the work itself. And I kept the, the feeling that I had was my head was just full of music. It was full of this. It's, um, you get this thing when you're, you know, you've learned something, you've really, and you need to give birth to it, otherwise it doesn't exist. And I didn't think I had the capacity uh, to deal with that, to not allow this piece to live. Mm. And the responsibility to the idea, uh, the, this notion of on being human as praxis, what we've been through, what this year has meant to everyone. Yeah. And also as uh, musicians who would be denied the opportunity to, pe to perform. And if we got to there and it'd be snatched away, oh, you know, it was, it was almost, it was like, almost like a Greek play, you know, kind of ancient Greek play where, you know, the gods are against us. So it was, as Laura has said that, once we had the green light to to go ahead and continue rehearsing and to record it, it felt it, it was the right thing to do um, mm. for us. Um, and I think this experience really pulled the group together. 
Mm-hmm. We were really close and really supportive mm. of each other throughout that week. Mm. It's interesting because I think that sort of feeling of like the carpet just being pulled out from under your feet, that you arrive there and you're told now it's cancelled. Most of us have experienced that, maybe not as we arrived, you know, at the at the actual festival. But I feel like the, the you know, if the the one thing I've learned from this year is like anything can be cancelled at any moment for any reason, you know, at any point. Like you could be about to walk on stage and they tell you just to go back to the changing room. And so, what I think from my experience, what's been interesting has been the energy's a bit raw on yes. stage you know, at the moment because part of you is just so happy to be to be with other people even if they're all two meters apart and wearing masks you're just so thrilled to be doing that that there's something different at stake and and i'm curious because you know it's it you're saying that you started planning the project from 2017 so it's this long gestation period and it's not just a simple concert where you said, I'm just going to commission five new works for voice. It's to do with the ideas, the the work of uh, the sort of the concepts from Sylvia Winter's work. And you want to sort of, you know, elucidate them in different ways musically. And so I'm curious about for you as a musician, um, for you as the, the main performer, you know, Elaine, it's, it's, it's really centered around your voice. Um, for both of you, like how how did the piece change over the course of that week? Do you know, and I, I like, you know, or did it, or did you have a different relationship to it because you thought I can't do it live, I can't do it with a live audience, but I can make this recording. Was it still the same project? If, if you understand what I mean, even energetically for you, you, you know, for you both. Um, I think, oh goodness, I'm, I'm such a show pony. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm going to claim that and own it and be proud of it because there is at the end, we're all show ponies, which was really interesting because um, in dance, when you work with a choreographer, that you know, even when you're rehearsing, they need 100% because there are safety issues there. Um, you know, you need to know you could do that lift or you could catch that person or they can fall and not hurt themselves. So you really be, you need to be 100% committed. As musicians, we are 100% committed, but there's something that is pulled out of the bag as soon as those lights are on stage. I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> Maybe that's another study, a PhD academic study somewhere, but it just changes you know and as, as it got closer to that point everything started to really focus even more and we were asking much more searching questions we were really thinking more deeply about the piece we'd had the trauma of what had happened on monday night you know we had time to reflect on that and also put into practice this being human as practice this is working this is all part of it we're living it so i think it gave the work, this a different kind of energy, as well as drawing on things that had happened earlier in the year, all these different things that have affected us and things that were happening. I mean, you know, we're walking out wearing masks. The, the world will never be the same again. Our interactions with people will never be the same. We won't be sharing bottled drinks, you know, or sharing a fork. We'll be th- and so all these things, I think, played a part and kind of, it was, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word, but it just centered, it made it much more focused. Um, it was distilled down to this thing that was so kind of 
visceral and yes that rawness as well and also this improv improvisatory aspect of kind of throwing caution to the wind which is what I really liked about how we dis we approached the works not at the expense of accuracy or you know notate not adhering to a notation but just opening up the self um, and it's a test to be able to do that without an audience I think yeah. that's so I think that's one of the most ch challenging things at the moment at the moment is trying to make that psychic connection with the audience even if they're not there in the room Lara you yeah I was just thinking that um, it also I mean first of all it just felt so good to have you know the lights and the energy and to have this sort of moment of release you know that after having um, had shows cancelled and having a project uh, you know within yourself for so long having have having had that moment felt really so good it was also interesting it felt um, for me like a, uh, in a certain degree even more intense even as if more more was at stake and I don't know if it was because it felt in a way also as a studio recording um, but the studio recording in a way that has uh, that is not just, just for us, but a studio recording this for a lot of people. And that really had a different, I felt even more sort of like nervous or excited or something, uh, you know, that, that really tr triggered my, um, uh, my inner sort of performance self that, 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 that was a heightened, heightened um, experience in some sense. So, yeah, um, uh, this, this moment of studio broadcast situation was also, unexpected for me to have that kind of energy you know um and i really enjoyed that that was felt really so good it's sorry uh jen please please continue oh please no continue. please go ahead no so i was i was thinking maybe i i've jinxed things because <laughs> i'm not superstitious but the back in march i performed at cafe Oto, and it was on that night when lockdown complete lockdown was announced and i remember feeling really stressed <laughs> i was so stressed but i also felt this heightened awareness and that i felt that i was performing because it was there were, there were there were four people in the room but it was going out to m many more people and you you're so alert because of that and you you it just I just wanted to do my best and my very best in, in communicating what I was feeling or what I wanted to share. And then, you know, this happened in a different country. I thought, is it me? What have I done? You know, <laughs> so, but then I kind of thought, no, it's, it's just coincidence. But then but we all felt that energy that Lara has just been talking about. It was very special. I think that's one of the most notable aspects of the of of the current situation is that is that it's it's these new textures of experience these new ways of being as you say being human <laughs> the practice of being human and it's funny because uh, i was supposed to perform at cafe otto i think like and i had watched some of your performance and i was like oh she's just amazing and and i was planning in my head that i was going to cycle my bicycle to cafe otto and i was going to bring my own sm58 you know, so that so that like I was, you know, not not close to a microphone that somebody else had been around, and, and I wouldn't, you know, I would say to them, please hand me the XLR and I will plug it in. <laughs> like I 
like I was going through all of these steps and and you know and on the one hand people were saying doesn't that seem just really stressful and I was like no no this is like a unique experience I want to you know I'm going to be as safe mm -hmm. as I possibly can but I I want to have this experience yeah you, you know um and these are sort of different it's different if there's more than one person in the room if it's not just one person in front of a live stream and and things change and things fall away you know that you thought were important um one of the things i, I spoke to jonathan burrows for this podcast and one of the things he said that i thought was really fascinating was he said for much of my life i've been interrogating the idea of what a theater is i've been criticizing it i've been deconstructing it and when i first was in a theater after the lockdown i was like this is actually a pretty great place <laughs> you know, this is quite an amazing building that's built for a very specific purpose and it serves that purpose really well and so we sort of find ourselves you know uh, sort of perspectives change you know as these things go um, I'm curious, uh, Elaine, I know it's a lot to ask of a piece as, as huge, you know, uh, as, 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 as on being humanist praxis. And you've got George Lewis and Tansy Davies, Jason Yard, Matana Roberts, as well as Laura uh, composing pieces for it. But could you give us some sort of summation before we dig in deeper to Laura's contribution? I know that's a, I know that's a tricky question. <laughs> um, well, um... Do you want to know why I chose these composers or why I, I wanted just, to yeah, focus just, on? Uh, I, I mean, because I think that for, for me, you know, the way you describe the piece, and I know reading the programme note, you say it's based on Winter's insights on how race, location and time together inform what it means to be human. And that sort of means everything. It is like <laughs> universe in, in one piece, which is what's so appealing about it to me. And it, as, as well, even just the title like resonates so deeply. So yeah. I'm just wondering if you can, can just give us a short summation of, of what the piece does. The piece, um, well, basically it takes uh, the observer through, or the listener, because one of the things that needs to be remembered is that it's a very active piece there is movement going on. So it was choreographed. And so that's, you don't really get a sense of that um, in the recording. And, um, but there, there is a film, there, there was film taken and uh, that will be available at some point. Um, but that will, for me, that is the piece with, when you can see it as well as listen to it. But um, each composer kind of honed in on different aspects of Winter's writings. And um, one of the things that, one of the pieces that really struck, but well, they all strike me because they're so different in terms of their energy and the musical language that's been explored um, and the different musical approaches, which is one of the things that I wanted because I, I don't believe, let me start that again. I believe that contemporary new music needs to reflect what's happening now. There is the canon and that we respect it, but there are so many different voices that come under contemporary new music. But because there is a very strong kind of Western European aesthetic, which is there, we understand that, it means quite a lot of voices are marginalized or even erased. And so for me to have someone like Jason Yard, who's known as a jazz uh, a musician and, and a jazz composer, but why shouldn't that be contemporary new music? You know, it's just the label that's been added um, to have Laura that when Laura's piece, which we'll discuss in, in um, 
further detail for me that just transported me to a club okay and I, it was just this thrusting i just love i just loved it i completely loved it different to matana roberts uh whose um text piece is a homage to ben patterson so it's a it's a fluxus kind of conceptual piece and tansy davies who's got this kind of trippy folk kind of approach to it and really playing with time and george is, i guess out of all of them has the strongest links to what we might consider aesthetically as being contemporary new music but also he's he's throwing his curveballs um in what he's wanting me to do vocally and it's this it's not it wasn't an exercise for me in terms of what you know vocal gymnastics to show how brilliant elaine michener can do blah, 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 yawn yawn it really was i wanted to be challenged on lots of levels to, in terms of how would they, how are they going to write for me what are they going to do to make me find a new way of expressing myself vocally and so it was I, I just loved this array of sounds and the listener will be brought through these very different kind of five I'll call them chapters five chapters of human experience of trying to be human what does that mean working it's a working practice so Matana's piece was dedicated to African-American uh, boys and men who've been slain at the hands of the police. That when she sent her text to me, it was, I received it a few days before George Floyd was killed. And I wrote to her after George Floyd was killed. And I said, you sent this before, and this is what's happened. It, 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 for me, it just, this is the right piece to be performing now. It's relevant and for each of the composers, how they've tackled this, this subject, it's so relevant to, to human experience. It's not about black or white experience, Asian experience, it's human experience. And I'm that's so important um, for me that this is what we're presenting. This is what I wanted to present at this time with the group, because we're all in this together. I, I, I have to say, I can't wait to see the video because having listened to it, it's a stunning, stunning piece. It doesn't feel like it's five pieces that have been curated. It, it all fits together. And, and, and there is something deeply profound about trying to address these things, you know, that are happening in our lives every single day, yeah. rather than, rather than sort of saying, um, there is the marginalization of certain voices, which has happened historically, but there's also the marginalization of like, um, personal events or, or experiences that are considered, uh, you know, appropriate to be addressed in a new music concert. And so to, to see this sort of work emerging is just amazing. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's also easy to see me as a black, uh, female, uh, singer stroke composer, which is not, I don't use that word too often, but it's easy to say, okay, she's going to do a piece about black experience. That's, that's easy. Also, it's easy to say that, oh yes, well, she will commission work by three Afri African diasporic uh, composers but actually that's a massive deal because Don Ashingen had has never done that in mm -hmm. its hundred year history okay but what I wanted to do more important is to have everything everyone on the same equal pegging it's about equity of, of opportunity as well it's not just about 
having access it's about being on equal level but what fascinated me with Sylvia Winters is that yes she talks about race but she also and you'll hear it in these pieces she talks about climate change and the fact that these injustices racial injustices have occurred for millennia has caused climate change the two are into the interlinked and people don't think about it in that way and i just thought this woman who is i don't know about 94 years old she was talking about this 50 60 years ago so we're addressing things that uh you know people might think are comparatively quite new now but actually it was people were talking about it a long time ago so it feels so relevant and i was just very happy to have uh, a team that also believed in its relevancy otherwise it could never have occurred laura do you want to now maybe it's a good time for you to introduce to talk about your mm. piece and how what what brought you to working with this subject matter these skin whitening creams mm. the piece well first of all i think i i really want to acknowledge um the amazing uh generosity and um um, enthusiasm that I had uh, from that I received from Elaine, from the right from the start, from the uh, from when working on the piece. Um, the piece went through, or like my idea of the piece went through several like uh, iterations. Um, I mean, I did not, I haven't uh, read uh, Silver Winter before. Um, Elaine introduced me to it, um, and I was immediately struck by the very unique. It's not just um, you know, a unique cosmos of thinking, um, but it's also a very unique way of the, the way her writing is enacting that thinking through a performative, through the certain performativity of her language and the way she's using and reworking language in certain ways. So um, that was something that her, when, when you read her writing, you immediately recognize a very um, specific, unique way of using and uh, re you know readjusting the way we speak about certain things and that's something i really wanted to include in, in some way so the idea of having a, a stronger focus on spoken part um was something that was there from the beginning um and in sort of last couple of pieces i've i've been dealing a lot with um yeah political issues from ranging from sort of weapon weapon propaganda um or um, you know, you know, weapon uh, bullet uh, uh, advertisement, which is your propaganda. Or um, you know, I was working with a piece on on self optimization of so something. These these topics are are, are you know are very important to me to think about. Like how can I use language that is that is or I can expose certain languages or ways of using language that is very you know that is violent and 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 uh, discriminatory in so many different vectors um and when reading through uh, the book by civil winter there was you know civil winter herself was talking a lot about um the western bourgeois aesthetic model and the way that that has um you know through advertisement you create a certain aesthetic or a certain mimetic desire uh, across the globe uh, to conform to that um uh, model and that is something where like Western cosmetic industries like profited billions from. Um, and as soon as you start looking into like L'Oreal or Olay or these these brands, um, uh, and you look at like one advertisement, you see 
um, I don't know, maybe we're just used to it more or like you don't really see the violence in the first place. But if you like list all the products from their website is a long list one after the other. It's just it's just uh, um, uh, important to listen to to, to see all that 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 um, that way of uh, using language to manipulate people into finding um, their own skin not adequate to whatever the 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 the, the mimetic desire is that is generated through advertisement and so Sigur Wind has a brilliant way of analyzing that and sort of exposing that and um yeah so i i, I decided that okay we we need i want to figure out a way how to expose this language at the same time there's the challenge of not um reproducing the violence that is that is present in the language and this is something that elaine and i and dam we have talked about it a lot like what is the right way of framing that um that we don't just sort of reproduce the violence that is present in a text but we are um framing it in a way that we are contribute to a certain positive world building um and so um we decided that you know the piece needs basically to have a strong silver winter um, uh, components that that basically you know re reframes and reframes the the, the very <clears throat> this barrage of advertisement takes that we hear at the beginning um, and um, yeah that was so then that basically like um, decided that that was sort of the decision to make a sort of a two part piece where we have like a barrage of advertising text that then gets reframed by Silver Winter and the players who are then, <clears throat> I built a little sampler that is basically, um, it's like an analog tape. You can imagine like an analog tape where the pitch of the performers, you know, if it's trumpet or the violin or something, uh, the, the pitch that they're playing is determining the speed of the tape reel in a certain way. Um, and on the tape reel, on the, on the digital tape reel was, um, uh, Ole, um, uh, the Ole advertisement clip. Um, so, and the idea was then to basically manipulate that advertisement and sort of play it uh, into the ground, <laughs> buried, and um, and have um, Elaine uh, very sort of lucidly speaking and very, you know, very clearly speaking, um, um, uh, um, Silver Winter's texts um, around it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the how that piece came about. Um, yeah, it it also had um, numerous uh, iterations of uh, the title. You know, Elaine and I were also talking a lot about that. Like, how do we, you know, when we talk about when we use the brand name like White Radiance, what, uh, how do we market that it's that it's a reproduction of a brand, of a, of a brand name? And so we we. we we, we went through several versions, like they called it White Radiance or it's called White Radiance or White Radiance, the brand name, or in the end, I, I, I decided to settle on White Radiance TM trademark um, as a little sort of um, superscript at the end. Um, and yeah, I think that, 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 that was, you know, that's really important to also always call it. It's not White Radiance, it's called White Radiance TM. That's the name of the piece. Um, so yeah. That's a little, a little roundup of, it, of that uh, it, uh, process. It's very striking to me that you talk about trying to take this text, which is 
very toxic do you know what i mean and very difficult to to sort of parse and trying to sort of weaponize it against itself you know or sort of find mm. a way of reclaiming it or reworking it or sort of defanging it or i i don't know exactly what is the right word mm. i'm curious how that felt for you elaine you know as a performer that you're taking this you're taking this text and sort of this and, and sort of reworking it you know I, I i would be fascinated to have been a fly on a wall in the discussions with uh the pair of you and darm as you were sort of trying to figure out how to deploy it yeah i mean it's it, it's rife with um with well difficulties and there then there are the possibilities you have to always we're always looking at solution and problem solving okay so it's it is problematic, but there's, I mean, from a cultural point of view, this, this product is very well known to certain cultures. It's kind of known to uh, people from uh, the African continent and in the Caribbean and also in Asia where white skin lightning is, you know, has been embraced and it's still very much part of it. I know in South Korea, for example, it's a huge problem. Um, and in Sylvia Winter's text, she goes on to say that this is not something that is a 20th century problem. Actually, uh, European white women in the um, 19th century and earlier, they lightened their skins. They used products for skin lighting, not just women, men as well. So this whole thing about whiteness and connecting that to purity and beauty, because it's you realize it's kind of this kind of brain fog really and it's so ingrained you know when then you have the advertising companies pushing that to you you know and mm -hmm. you're you're wondering okay well what does that say about me if i don't look like that and so i was thinking about all these things when i was trying to understand what well, learning learning laura's piece but also uh, they were very clear about how I should deliver it because it wasn't uh, it wasn't an exaltation of this product. It was it is a dam damning of it, and the tox the the toxicity of of the text is also combined with the actual toxicity of the product itself because it's damaging the skin. Mm -hmm. So it's damaging on so many levels and i had to think about that you know there was moments where you know i became very enraged by by what i was reading but also then it's just ridiculous that someone someone should put this on their skin to you know and so you go through all these different emotions it's kind of you you poke fun at it you rant at it you're you're resigned to this kind of frustration and that's what this piece does um, and I, I love, whilst I'm reading uh, Sylvia Winter's text, that this kind of dissolving kind of feeling with the uh, stretching of the Olay advert. And you'll see when you watch, see the videos, that they actually the, the uh, instrumentalists melt into the ground as well as the dancers. And they fall, and it's a really, it's so unnerving and it's, it's, it's strange and it's it's strange and beautiful and dark and disturbing because it's all there in the music and it's really think, brilliant yeah another important thing that you brought up i think this this question of yet yeah, it's not only um um you know people of color who use skin whitening it, it's something that has been used by europeans many over many centuries and that was the one thing that was really important for me is to not sort of make this piece about pathologizing 
uh, skin bleachers or people who use it, but it's about it's about that's why I really wanted to focus on the advertisement language. Like it's it's about focus on 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 the on the way that the piece can only work if you focus on the way how the uh, if we if you find a way to to expose this um, violence that is encoded in 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 very euphemistic uh, advertisement language, um, that's the only way we can we can make this actually work. This whole piece, um, and so that's why also the main focus was really only on the advertisement, the the language of the corporate language of advertisement in that piece. That's the only way this piece can actually also work. I think on a on this conceptual level. Well, I I'm I will play a long section from the piece at the end of this podcast, but I uh, urge everybody to go to YouTube and and search for the project, and you can listen to it online. Um, we need to wrap it up now because I've enjoyed tremendously listening to you guys talk about the piece, uh, but uh, unfortunately we need to to wrap it up. And so I suppose I have one final question, which is. Um, this has been such a difficult year for everybody on so many levels, and it feels like we're dealing with um, we're dealing with layers upon layers of stressors. The pandemic, for a lot of people, is is a, is is even in second place to the stressors that, that this year's that this year have caused for them. Um, but I'm I'm curious as you as we sort of roll on towards December and and the end of this year. What are you going to take with you that you don't want to leave behind from 2020? Um, whether it's related to this project or something else, I'm just curious. And this is the question I ask everybody on the podcast. You know, um, and some people feel like that the pandemic gave them perspective about their lives, and other people simply say, "I learned to cook a lot, and uh, I'm glad I learned to cook a bit more." So I'm just curious if you have anything you'd like to share. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the if I may go first to Lynn, briefly. Um, yeah, cool. um, I think the, um, there's two things. I think the having slowed down the, the rate of production and the re, re, rethinking the, the sort of production model that we, are, uh, we were used to, in, especially in the arts, um, uh, slowing this down uh, and uh, rethinking that has been crucial. Um, of course, there has been the financial uh, stress um, on top of it, but on, on the other hand, it also opened up new, um, I think, ways of, of conceiving, making art in the future that is more healthy for the body and for our communities. Um, and uh, yeah, and the other thing is, um, we really need to look out for each other, for one another. And that, that really felt, um, uh, you know, Felt good to be uh, uh, to be in a, in a in a in a community in Berlin where I feel, um, you know, all of a sudden no one's traveling anymore, and actually we 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 start um, committing to our own well-being in a certain way and 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 um, prioritizing communal support over uh, your artistic career in certain ways, and I think that was something. Um, I was a you know stark reminder. Communities are more resilient in such situations than than the individualistic um, uh, loner fighter. Um, so I think that's a very very important lesson for all of us to learn. That's beautiful, Elaine. How about you? I, I can't really top that. Um, I agree with everything that Laura has said, um, but with the slight tongue in cheek, I 
one of the things that I'm taking into 2021 is my face mask because um, I'm really pleased the rest of the world has caught up with us singers who before, hitherto, COVID, <laughs> you know, if you had a cold or if you suspected other people would have outward whip a face mask and actually it was the only way people would just kind of sit sit apart from me it you know <laughs> and i was grateful for it and sometimes i wore a face mask because i didn't want anyone near me just <laughs> but what it has what it has done it's um slowed me down it's it's allowed me to really take stock on a lot of things um to remind myself of what really matters in this life and um, the importance of healthy mind and body and and the part that I can play to help others with that and that community is so important. Um, I think we've all had bouts of loneliness over these these long months and you know we're used to working on our own but actually we're social beings and regardless of what anyone says you know, we become alive when we're around people and the people that we want to be with. And, and I'm really looking forward to, to being able to do that again and hopefully in a not too distant future. I, I couldn't put it better myself. Uh, thank you both so much for, for chatting about the project and life and post 2020, 21 <laughs> communities. Really, really inspiring to talk with you both today. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for Thank having us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.